Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today for our series covering women in science is Professor Leslie Cornish from the School of Chemical and Metallurgical Engineering at the University of the Witwatersrand. She is also the director of the DCI NRF Center of Excellence in Strong Materials and the African Research University's Alliance Center of Excellence in Materials, Energy and Nanotechnology. Science is an important aspect, and if we consider that part of the African Union's agenda for their 2024 focus is on the wings of innovation, the African Union's science, technology, and innovation strategy for Africa, which aims to respond to the demand for science, technology, and innovation to impact across critical sectors such as agriculture, energy, the environment, health, infrastructure development, mining, security, and water, amongst others. Welcome to the show, Prof Cornish. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. You wear several caps that have a significant impact on material developments, both within South Africa as well as across the continent. One that I'd like to focus on is the DSI NRF Center of Excellence in Strong Materials. So as the director of the center, can you please tell us more about it? The center has been running since halfway through 2004. Basically, as the director, my job is to, if you like, oversee it, make sure that we're kept on track for the overall mission and what the overall mission is, is to build people, build the expertise, build the infrastructure, increase collaboration and networking, and um, then use that usefully in trying to solve problems for industry. And then, of course, the other center of excellence is wider than that and goes into Africa. And also, it does come with a lot of administration and we have to report to the NRF. And that is becoming more and more onerous, I think, as the government is looking for more and more from its money. So obviously, it's asking the NRF to report. And of course, they give it to us. But mostly, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of encouraging people. I have my own students as well. So it's very, very varied. And also, I have to keep things on track with the university because obviously the university's got its way of doing things and we have to be audited. And it's very tight on, on that. Well, you're dealing with expansive budgets, I'm sure, looking at the different types of innovations and the research aspects that are undertaken. In the conversation, you mentioned the fact that you are looking to solve problems for industry. What types of real-world problems are you planning for solving? If you can give us a few highlights. Basically, we're trying to make materials better. So we're trying to make materials more efficient so that they last longer, so that they become safer if they last longer. We're also looking at trying to improve specific materials trying to do things like improve corrosion resistance. We've got a group looking at modeling, 
what they try and do is, and they've done it very successfully, is model possible materials. And then either in that group or another group, other people try and make those materials. And obviously it's materials with a certain use. It's not just materials for the sake of it. It's a wide range. We've had several patents um, accepted and a lot of them are with various industries like Element 6. The science discipline is renowned for making new life-changing discoveries. And, and like you've mentioned, you've had successful patents put through, which all speak towards the factor of innovation. The Center of Excellence does focus on challenges as well as opportunities in the continent. Can you expand on some of the more significant collaborations or research projects that your teams are working on that have got more of a continental footprint? Thanks. Yeah, um, that's where the Arua Center of Excellence comes in. That was sort of based on something we called AMSEN, which was African Materials Science and Engineering Network. In that, we were looking at making better nickel-based alloys for higher temperatures. There was also a whole load of work, not directly done by me, but we were looking at better materials batteries. Now what one group is doing is looking at materials to help alleviate pollution and also materials to help, um, we want to really get this one bigger, it's, it's starting, materials that will help for water purification. There's also a lot to do with energy and trying to get different ways, more bigger, better energy resources, and also to try and remove waste. And uh, at the same time as you're removing waste, you're actually creating energy. Those are just some of the projects. I would imagine that some of these aspects and the work that you're doing really taps into the United Nations Sustainable Development Plans. Oh, definitely. If I had those to hand, I could reel them off. And it's not just the materials. It's not just the better life. It's the education part and hopefully heading towards better equality. So, yes, there's a lot of the stuff that we're doing has got that as underlying. I mean, you, you can see a lot of the things we're trying to do is almost as if we're using materials to do the things that materials do. But... The spin-off for that is actually to improve our society and make it a better place. In fact, in our Arua Centre of Excellence, there's two sort of overlying themes. One is to make materials more effective, and the other is the social impact of materials. And we've got somebody looking at sort of the life cycle of a particular building material, which is quite complex, and, and you... If you were sitting outside, you wouldn't necessarily think about that. It's an important responsibility that we need to confront as a society and understand the impact that we have on our world long term, which is actually going to endure long after we leave the planet. In the Arua initiative, which represents Africa Research Universities Alliance, 
You work with a host of different institutions. So obviously, it's hosted by the University of the Witwatersrand, but other institutions include universities in Pretoria, in Nairobi, as well as Ghana. Given that you work uh, across a breadth of different institutions in different countries, I wanted to ask you, what is your view on the responsibilities that universities have towards shaping the thinking of students as the continent's future socio-political and economic players, especially women? Yes, we, we have a huge role there and a huge responsibility there. And I think it goes deeper than just the academic subject, which, of course, is very important. Both centres, they deal with a wide range of disciplines in science and engineering. And we've got specialists there and no one really fits across the two. That's why we have to have this collaboration. Virtually all of our students are research students and there's some postdocs there as well. So they will all be experts in their fields. But on top of that, we are training the students to think. And I think that starts at a very early level. We're encouraging them and we're empowering them. And by showing an example, we can show them there's places to go to, whether they want to be an academic or whether they want to go into industry. Some have gone into government. Some have gone into banking. One of the things that I think is really important, and maybe we're not so good at it at the moment, but I think we're getting better, is this whole idea of citizenship. What, what is a citizen of Africa or a citizen of the world? What should they be like? So they should be honest and fair. They should be maybe not necessarily an expert in everything, but have enough knowledge and experience that they can be useful. And this citizenship is really important because with it comes the whole thing of not just being greedy and getting what's good for you, but trying to care for the environment as well as humanity, all parts of it, not just the males if you're male and not just the females if you're a female, but all parts of it. And I think we're getting better at this, but we need a bit more work on this. And the other thing, of course, that happens is you you end up being quite competitive with other universities, and I hate that. And also, even with industry sometimes, and even with things like the science councils, and we shouldn't really be, be competitive. We should be more collaborative. But unfortunately, you get this competitive um, thing coming in, and that's because all institutions like to show that they're successful, and they do that by counting things. And as soon as you start counting things, you want to have more than the other entity. And that can count against us when really we can, we can share. And if we collaborate, we can share the papers because we've shared the workload. And I think not everybody has got that yet. A lot of people have, and it's great, but not everybody. It is a different way of thinking. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Aristotle said the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So if we have this philosophy that we're all contributing to this greater whole, then we will stand to benefit and not just think of ourselves in our own little fiefdoms. Oh, definitely. And this whole thing about looking after the environment. I mean, there's been so much 
greed that that's actually got us in the mess we're in today. And if we can get better energy supplies, especially if we can use up waste to make energy, we, we kill two birds with one stone. I hate saying that because I'm a birder, but never mind. So we, we've got to be more thoughtful on how we do things. And I think if, if we can just pull together, and there are some good signs that things are happening, then everybody benefits. Maybe some people won't benefit as much as they would have done, but hey, they've had a big part of the cake anyway, and maybe it's time to think of a fairer way of doing it. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Professor Leslie Cornish from the School of Chemical and Metallurgical Engineering at the University of the Witwatersrand. She is also the director of the DCI NRF Center of Excellence in Strong Materials and the African Research University's Alliance Center of Excellence in Materials, Energy and Nanotechnology. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. We've spoken about some of the research aspects that your teams have undertaken. And it is firmly sitting in the STEM environment, which covers science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And these subjects have been cited as being pivotal for jobs of the future. Yet various reports indicate that women are often underrepresented in these types of disciplines, which obviously creates a gap and will be at a disadvantage when they're looking for work or job opportunities as our world evolves. You are a professor of physical metallurgy, which in simple terms is the science of making useful products out of metals. Please tell us what sparked your interest in this field. It goes back years. I think I'm one of these lucky people. I knew what I wanted to do when I was 14. I didn't quite know the name of it, but I knew what I wanted to do. And Yes, it hasn't been an easy trajectory. It hasn't been a trajectory in a straight line. I was always interested in science. I was always interested in how things work or didn't work. And going through senior school, look, I had some very good teachers, I must admit, very, very supportive. They weren't quite supportive when I said I wanted to do metallurgy because they didn't know what it was and they thought I was putting myself into a dead end. Um, but then they did become more supportive later on. But I, I realized that I was, I was going to have to go into science because that was my interest. But having said that, I was also interested in a whole load of things. But I decided that I, I was going to go into science also because not only was it interesting, it was somewhere and I realized that that would give me a career where I could be self-supporting. I didn't necessarily want to be rich, but I wanted to be fulfilled and I wanted to have enough money. And then I started looking at, at what could I do? And I came across metals and in a cupboard under the stairs at my school in the UK, we had various university prospectuses. And I just used to sit in there with the door open so I didn't suffocate and um, go through and, and look, look at what I could do and look at where I could do it. And I'd made up my mind and that was where I was going. And I did. 
And what types of career opportunities are there for metallurgists? There's quite a few. I mean, if if you stay into metallurgy, which really overlaps with materials engineering and materials science, we don't just deal with metals. There's a lot you can do. You could stay in a um, in a research environment at a university and do what I've done, but I haven't always been there. You could go and join some sort of science outfit here. It would be science councils and carry on doing research. You can teach. You can go into manufacturing. There's still a lot of manufacturing where they do their own research in-house. And then there's what's becoming increasingly important these days and will be more important in the future is you can head out on your own as an entrepreneur. You might need other people as well to help you with some of the stuff. We're trying to get people to think round like that and put them in contact with people who have been entrepreneurs and sort of to help set up their own business. Now, obviously, before that, they've got to have a really good understanding of what they're trying to do and how to do it and how not to do it. And that's why it's interesting and effective to put different people together. One of the things that I've, I've lost several of my students to once they've graduated is to go into banking. And the reason for this is that the banks offer people money, okay, to do things. And obviously, they want it to be a successful investment so that before they lend money for something, they need engineers and scientists to look at what's being asked for. Is it feasible? Is it safe? Is it doable? Is it likely to to succeed? Or is it just a waste of time? So that is actually really, really important. And also people going into government, because the more scientists you have there, the more they'll understand what we need to do. The thing about universities, which I love, is that you have lots of different people there with all different expertise and everybody's got a different way of thinking this is how we ought to change the world. There is actually quite a lot of overlap between what the scientists and engineers are trying to do and what the social scientists are trying to do. So there's a lot you could do. And even if you don't stay in your, in your, in your discipline, I don't think it's a waste because you've been educated in that, you've thought about that, and you can still, if you like, fly the flag and get people to think about proper and sensible things. There's so much you can do. I really like the way you've expressed and stressed the flexibility and agility that comes with pursuing scientific subjects, the logic that it gives you, the the critical thinking skills, which can be reapplied to almost any sphere. Going back slightly towards the origins of, of this question, what do you think industries, schools, and universities can do to encourage more women to pursue careers in STEM subjects? I think one of the problems with women is it it starts much, much earlier. I'm always really saddened when I hear that girls miss school because they, you know, they they can't cope with their, their period because they don't have the right things to hand. They don't have the pads or whatever. And I think that is so sad. 
because although I didn't really enjoy that stage of my life at that <laughs> at that time, I'm, we were old fashioned and used to call it the curse. It, it's just something that you get on with it. If the girls don't have the right equipment, you know, they, they're going to miss out on so much. And I think that is vitally important. I don't think this is the place to discuss it because I'm I'm not a medic, but I think it is really important. And I think any initiative to help girls get through that, I think is really important. The other thing you're up against is, I mean, I, I still have it in my own family, is, um, you know, just, oh, girls don't do that. And I just think you, if you really want to do it, you've just got to carry on and do it. And there's no reason why a woman can't do anything. Yes, it's probably easier to um, say if you're running a facility, oh, we don't want females here because we will have to have another set of toilets. I mean, really? Can't you put a lock on the door? There's just so many excuses. But women can do things and we just need the opportunity. When I first came to South Africa, women weren't allowed in a bar. And I didn't realize that and got thrown out. And look at it now. So we just need the opportunity and just to try and get around that mindset. And one of the ways of getting around the mindset is not to get upset, is just keep trying. Just carry on, you know, successful, show people what, what can be done by women and just keep trying. This is where role models are really important because, um, you know, the, the, the school girls or the students can say, oh, there's a, there's a woman doing that. I could do that. So I think that's, that's really, really important. I, I get a bit worried about we need more bursaries for women. We do, but we need more bursaries for everyone. One of my students, right when I first started at WITS, got a bursary for being a female, and it was, it was almost like an insult. But luckily, she was, she, she was clever enough to think, well, I don't care what they call it. I've got my bursary, and I'm going to get on with it. And she did. And she did her undergraduate. She did a master's. Then she went overseas, unfortunately, and did a PhD and never came back. So we just need opportunities for, for women. And we just need people maybe to realize that there are underlying problems. And the other thing, of course, that happens is people expect that women should be more the caregivers in the house and they tend to get lumbered with more things looking after the other children. And that is really difficult. So we just need to take in mind that that's what might be happening. It's a very wide question. It is a wide question. And, and you've certainly addressed some of the challenges, but also emphasized the point of opportunities and being able to take those opportunities and, and make them work for you. And at the same time, you've highlighted some of the things which I find to be, quite frankly, dumb. I mean, why, why should a woman be prevented from walking into a bar? About six months ago, I was doing something on um, a woman in, in the law and came across various pieces of legislation that have been put in place to address, as I, I call it, these dumb sentiments which make absolutely no sense on preventing us from moving ahead. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. 
You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Professor Leslie Cornish from the School of Chemical and Metallurgical Engineering at the University of the Witwatersrand. She is also the director of the DCI NRF Center of Excellence in Strong Materials and the African Research University's Alliance Center of Excellence in Materials, Energy and Nanotechnology. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. We certainly do have a ways to go. And the fact by having women accounting for half of our population, having them participate in the labor force obviously has macroeconomic contribution consequences. But we still have these persisting inequalities between men and women where women tend to be coming off second best, whether it is about unequal pay, working in lower ranking roles, underrepresentation in management. Given your experiences throughout your career, what types of interventions do you think can realistically help remedy inequality in the workplace? That's really tricky because you start doing things and then the the old guard comes in and sort of blocks it again. And it isn't just women. It's almost everywhere that's a big organization You can see there's an old guard. They try and keep out the people that aren't like us type thing. It is so wrong and it's crazy. And one of the things that I think is so special about South Africa is that we're so diverse and we've got people from so many different walks of life that there's so many different contributions that the people can give. I mean, I I like it when my students come up with things and you begin to see something in a in a different light. And we need everybody to get involved. As you said, women is half the the workforce or half the potential workforce, and you're throwing away potentially that number of people, not only as just sort of bums on seats, but also their capability. There's a lot of capable women there. I know there's a lot of capable men, but there there are some really bright women out there who just need to be given the chance. And I've, you know, I've, I've helped both men and women give them a space to, to give them a chance and sort of get them going much further than they, they could have done otherwise because they weren't seen by people above me as having potential. And it's just crazy. But that's the role of being a good teacher. That's the role of being a role model and and the role of being a mentor to be able to recognize the potential and the opportunity that lies within someone and give them that nurturing push to, to succeed rather than holding them back. And that speaks to the earlier aspect of our conversation on the contributions that we can all make collaboratively to improve the lives of everybody. Exactly. And some people, they just need a chance. You know, they've, they've actually got everything, but they just need an opening. And say so several times I've created a space for them and they've, you know, they've blossomed. And that's what we've got to keep trying to do. I like people to try and 
think that where they'd like to go themselves rather than being pushed the whole time. But sometimes it's good to give somebody a little nudge and a little bit of encouragement. And also what happens is some people, they don't see where they could go. They just see what's around them. And you need to try and show them that there's something more apart from the environment that they're stuck in, that if they could only get through this, then they would have much wider horizons. And um, I think at the moment, we're all suffering from that because we're just, most of us are stuck working from home. We've got to try and get out of that and we've got to try and see beyond that. And we must just keep pushing and try and expose people to a wider environment. But this is where it's good for people to attend um, webinars and stuff because then they can see what's happening in the world and not just from the news, which can be depressing, not just from social media, which uh, can be incorrect, but see what is going on out there and, and get involved. I imagine it must be so rewarding to see people get out of their comfort zones and realize that they have this spark that can propel them forward into the future. The question that I'd like to ask you now is is about your personal journey. Can you please tell us about some of the factors that you feel have contributed to your success and shaped you? I can do. I was actually born in Uganda, so I had some little bit of growing up to do in Africa. My mother died early. I was only 11. And I think I learned to become independent um, and I learned to rely on myself. And I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to a good school. With the support from that good school, although not everything was totally wonderful, it was a good school. From there, I I could go to university and I went with the right sort of attitude, which came from the school, certainly the work ethic, and also a realistic thing with what I could do. When I first came to South Africa to work at WITS, quite a lot of our students had really unrealistic expectations. And it used to cause quite a problem because they would sort of clash with the companies because they wanted a car and a directorship. The company would think, well, gee, you're just a wet behind the years graduate. You know, you've got, you've got some growing up to do. But I was very lucky in that, that things fell into place and, and I could see what was good, what was bad. The other thing that I was really lucky with is along the way, I came across some very good men and some very good women. And I was able to think that even though my family are very male chauvinists, you know, women just don't do these things. I could see beyond that. Although it hurt at times that my family weren't interested. I mean, I remember once telling my father, phoning him up, and he was in the UK and saying, I'm going, you know, I'm presenting at a conference in Japan. I'm presenting my work. And his comment was, don't they have anybody who's better? And that was just such a put down. And I thought, well, he just doesn't understand the system. You know, it's my work. Nobody else can present it. It's my work. It's what I did. And I just had to sort of ignore the stuff from the family. But Prof Cornish, that's so hurtful. Um, coming from a family <laughs> member, how oh, it gets worse than that. <laughs> how how did you overcome this? Because other women are in your shoes. 
and you've dedicated your work. It is important. It's making a difference. It's impacting on the world. And you've still got to contend with family who, who don't appreciate what you're doing. Please just talk us through how you've navigated that point. I sort of learned to ignore what the family said because I had enough signs coming out from outside that I was actually doing the right thing. And I've actually given up telling my family what I'm doing um, because they, they just don't get it. And if I tell them, you know, they're just going to rubbish it. So I just ignore it. It was quite hurtful. Um, but that's the way my family were because I was only a female. But you see, losing my mother so early, I had nobody to stand up for me. And I was just left in a very male orientated household. My grandparents helped initially. And even after my father remarried, it was still a very male orientated household. And I just learned to ignore it because luckily that school that I got a scholarship to was an all girls school. And I think that helped. At the time, I was worried about it because boys didn't phase me because I had three elder brothers. They, you know, I had good vibes coming from them. And it was a very academic and sporty school. I wasn't very good on the sporty side there because it wasn't my sort of sport. But it was great from the academic side. I also went to an all-girls school. And I have to say, in that environment, it was actually quite empowering because we could, well, we were told we could be anything that we wanted to be. And there wasn't anyone telling us anything different. Exactly. And I think that's what's so good about all girls schools. I think sometimes that you can, um, the pupils there can sort of lose out how to cope with males. But I was lucky because, as I said, I had three elder brothers, so I didn't really miss out on that. But certainly as an environment, yeah, you know, you're the, the best in the class is, is, is a girl. <laughs> the bottom in the class is a girl as well. But there's nobody sort of saying, ooh, girls are lousy at science. And there's nothing like that. I mean, I, I even had a little bit of that at my primary school, which was an excellent primary school. And I just said, rubbish. I can do anything better. And they said, well, show us. And I did. <laughs> but I, I think maybe you need that sort of personality that you've got to believe in yourself a bit. You are going to take knocks. There are times when you think, am I doing the right thing? You know, I'm finding this so difficult. But you've just got to think, no, actually, there are going to be times when I don't want to say fail, but you don't succeed. And you've just got to take a breather and look at it. Why didn't you succeed and try again? You're not always going to succeed in everything you do. But as long as you succeed in most of them, that's fine. Well said. And lastly, as we close our conversation today, can you please share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to girls and women who are listening to the show? Thanks. Um, you're not going to get anywhere, no matter how bright you are, you're not going to get anywhere just on that. So there's hard work. There's hanging in there. I used to be a marathon runner until I messed up my hips. And I couldn't sprint to save my life, but I could, I could do marathon running because I could just hang in there. And the other thing is honesty. Uh, you have to be honest. Dishonesty might get you there in the short term, but it won't in the long term. And another thing is you will never please everyone. 
But if you're true to yourself and you try and do what's good, then you should succeed. And you must also be prepared to disagree with people. I get so upset with certain people that if you don't agree with them, you know, it's sort of, if you're, if you're not with us, you're against us. And I think that's a load of rubbish because I'll disagree with anybody, but you don't have to come to blows. You know, you can just say, well, actually, I don't see it that way. I see it this way because, you know, and stand your ground. Sometimes you'll have to admit, oh, yeah, okay, you've got a point there and go away and think about it. But that's part of the honesty and um, being true to yourself. And another thing I'd say is that whatever you do, do your very best to enjoy it. You might not enjoy it all the time. I mean, I hate marking with a passion, but that's the downside of my position because I still have to do teaching, even as a, a director. But that's a small downside to all the other stuff I do. So overall, enjoy it. And if there's something you don't like, try and change it. Don't necessarily throw the towel in, but try and change it. And if you can't change it, do the bit you don't like and get rid of it. <laughs> do it well enough, it doesn't come back. But mainly, you know, be, be honest to yourself. Because if you're not honest to yourself, you can't be honest outside. Thank you for sharing those powerful words. I particularly like the view of endurance, being in things for, for the long run and focusing on your trajectory, being true to yourself and standing your ground when you need to, but at the same time, practicing aspects or let's say practicing virtues of tolerance and acceptance that we can have multiple viewpoints in circulation and there's nothing wrong with that. So thanks once again for joining us. Thank you. I've, I've thoroughly um, enjoyed it. What I wanted to say was the respect for the other people. I mean, respect other people, even if, even if they don't agree with you. I completely agree with that sentiment as well. Everybody comes from a different context, a different background and our lives are shaped by that. And that means that we will have different views. But again, there's nothing wrong with that. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Leslie Cornish from the School of Chemical and Metallurgical Engineering at the University of the Witwatersrand, who is also the director of the DSI NRF Center of Excellence in Strong Materials and the African Research University's Alliance Center of Excellence in Materials, Energy and Nanotechnology. 